Hate is easy and it's even easier to hate things you don't understand. So if you don't understand me and your reaction is, oh, I hate her. She's toxically positive, like F her. Oh God, like, I feel sorry for you. Like you're wasting energy hating someone who's positive because I didn't struggle enough. Whoa, there's so much more productive stuff you could be doing with that energy. And at the end of the day, it actually doesn't matter to me yeah. what you think, because I like me. I'm giving strategies strategies that can make tomorrow more awesome. I'm not fixing anybody. I'm not a shrink. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person who's been a service journalist for 25 years, who's had really amazing access to researchers, PhD studies, case studies, training and working with real people for nine years on the self-challenge. And, and I use myself as a guinea pig. And a lot of this stuff works. It's not Megan Murphy says, it's science says. And guess what? If like one of these tools in this full HR toolkit works for you, amazing. Because guess what? You're gonna live with more grit and grace and it's gonna feel good. Hey everyone, this is Jennifer and welcome to another episode of Connection. I am super charged to introduce my next guest, Megan Murphy. Megan is the editor-in-chief of Women's Day Magazine and author of the new book, Your Fully Charged Life, a radically simple approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay. How fun is that? I first met Megan on the set of a job I was doing for Self Magazine in New York City. She was the fitness editor and at like 7 a.m. showed up with boundless amounts of energy and enthusiasm, which made a lasting impression on me. It's this attitude that she infuses into every page of her book. Megan offers tips and tricks based in the latest research in neuroscience and positive psychology on how you can bring your best self to every moment and offers inspiring examples from her own life and those lucky enough to be included in it. You'll hear us catch up on life, talk about how she used her own toolbox to survive the lockdowns, the process of writing her book and the inspiration for her book, her father's passing, demonstrating that some of our brightest moments can come from our biggest challenges and pain. Speaking with Megan is like receiving a lightning bolt of fun and energy into your life. Listen up and allow her radiance to help you shine more brightly. Uh, well, your book is certainly a bright, shiny light in a state of turmoil. Well, it's definitely orange. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I, I had on like I have gray sweatpants on, a gray t-shirt, and I'm like, Megan's going to show up with like lightning bolts, oh, and, like pink glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. I better throw in some That's color. Pr- I like your sweater. It's so pretty. Thank you. I think I got this in London. When I, I, was- like, I think I ate gluten last night because I just woke up. I don't, I like ran 45 minutes. And you ever been on like one of those runs where you're like, maybe I'll go to the bathroom in the woods. That's how bad I feel <laughs> right now. Yeah. No, I know. Like that's not, it depends. Like I can do gluten for me. It's all about, um, it's all about like the, the attitude I'm in when I eat. Does that make sense? Like if I'm celebrating and, and I'm not thinking about my food so much. I mean, I know we could probably talk about this forever. I have celiac disease though. Oh, so it is. So a- it's not, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> if I eat gluten, I'm fucked. Um, has that been forever? No, 10 years. Like, um, I was diagnosed after my second kid. Oh yeah. Something maybe in hormones. Yeah. Like, just like they say, it's like, it's autoimmune. So sometimes it's just like, it's like latent and then like a body trauma, like two pregnancies in two years. 
Yeah. Makes it happen. Um, and what do you think? Was this, like, yeah, did you had, unknowingly eat gluten? What, what do you think? Yeah, it's always unknowing. Oh my God. Yeah. If, I, if I was going to eat gluten, I'd be like, okay, I want a hot pretzel. Like I would want <laughs> something like some mustard sandwich. Like it would be something good. We have these things called wonder trucks and they cook outside of your house and then they bring oh. it in. Oh, cool. Yeah. Restaurant tours are not super thrilled about it, but like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but moms are. Yeah. <laughs> super excited like oh you cook you're cooking dinner on my on my sidewalk right now awesome i'm in yeah i'm in and it's like good and it's not expensive yeah i am um, my my kryptonite is soy sauce like if there's mm. a little like so i eat sushi without any of that yeah because that soy sauce has gluten in it maybe it is i don't know but it and even tamari so i don't know which is supposed to be wheat-free. I don't know what it is, if it's just the sodium or something in it, but doesn't stop me from putting like spicy mayo and everything when I go eat sushi. Oh, I just dip everything in mayo. We don't eat a lot of sushi. I actually like suggested it the other day to my daughter. She's like, no. It's like, okay. Yeah, kids have to be trained, I think, early on for sushi. Like super early on, yeah. super early on. And we just never did that. Yeah. Because we don't love it. Like, it's not like I love it. Like, I don't care about it. Yeah. I like it, but I don't eat, I'm not really a good fish eater. So it's not like, I'm like, Ooh, can't wait to have that. Unless they're in tacos. I know you're a taco fan. I do like a taco, but I don't, I don't really want the fi- I don't, I don't Oh no, fish no fish eater. tacos. Mm. Maybe mm. like if I was in Hawaii. Yeah. By a pool. Yeah. Setting is high. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Would so be I feel amazing. about um, like daiquiris or coconut anything coke any coconut drink I'm like maybe if I'm somewhere exotic but even then but you're like "Hmm." so where are you in a closet like what did you you have like a little like (laughs) does it sound like I'm in a closet no but that shelf I'm like trying to figure out the logic of the shelf it's literally like um one of those sheds like a storage shed that my landlord converted and Ooh. I have these two like loft spaces up here. One I put a bed in for guests. So when they, it's like a tree house down here. It's literally on stilts in the middle of the woods. So it's cool. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I sleep down here every once in a while. Here's, How long have you been there? Cause you were in Texas for a while, right? I was in Austin. Yeah, I was in Austin uh, for three years. And then I left in 2016 and moved. Uh, I, I traveled for a year. I went to India and Thailand and Laos. And then I landed back in the States and landed in Colorado for a summer. Okay. I thought about staying in Colorado. I love the mountains, but it was just too remote for me. I was okay. outside of Telluride and Ridgeway. I'm like, oh, I don't really know. You know, I'm single. I'm jobless at this point because I had left my job in Austin at that time. I was running a health and wellness kind of program for a resort and spa. I'm like, I don't really think Ridgeway, Colorado is, is. And so when I decided to come back to LA, I'm like, I have to be in nature. I have, I, I do like LA has no appeal for me anymore as far as LA, but yeah. Topanga, which is, close right next to Malibu. Um, it feels like a whole other world. Unfortunately, you get incidents like these, which are fires and I'm, I'm locked in today. Like I can't, I'm supposed to go teach at 11. I can't, I can't get out to teach. Oh, so really? yeah, the road, our, our road is closed. The road that goes in and out to Woodland Hills and down to the beach. Oh, that would freak me out. I'd feel trapped. Yeah. I'm really in this state of limbo and, um, okay. trying to find, 
the next thing, you know? The book thing is, is great, but it doesn't really make any money. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I know that, but yeah. who knows what it would launch? You know what I mean? And, yeah, and yeah, to me, yeah. it's more like a personal, it's just something that I've been hearing from source, God, whatever to do and to put out in the world, even when I'm like, eh. so, and I've been sharing a lot of the stories on Instagram and it seems to really be resonating and ever and all the agents, even if they've turned it down and I'm sure you probably, you know, you've gone through this process, but even if they turn it to, they're like, it's really well written. The story's great. It has lots of twists and turns and blah, blah, blah. Um, basically my platform's not big enough because yeah. Well, and I didn't go that, like, I didn't write a book first. Right. I sold a proposal and I wrote a book. Right. Yeah. I think memoir is different. Like they say, you can have it written. Most people have the proposal. Um, so let's start with that. Like how, what was your inspiration to write the book or to even pitch the idea? Yeah. Well, I, so I feel like for me, it was like when my dad was dying. So my dad had pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer. And it was like, in, there was a day when I was with him in chemo and it was like very close to the end. And it was this moment of like, hey dad, like not giving up, please don't feel that. But how do you wanna be remembered? Like in this moment, like what do you want your legacy to be? And we had like this very tearful conversation because you know that's a tough conversation to have um, because when someone's dying like that, when someone has got a terminal illness, it's this like, if I ask these tough questions, does it seem like I've given up? And so my mom never had any kind of conversations like that because she refused to ever even have the thought that this was it. Mm -hmm. And I allowed myself to have the thought that this is stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, but in that same moment of asking him, I really asked myself that. And, and it became very clear to me that I wanted to like leave this legacy of positive energy. Mm -hmm. And once he died, like that next two years of climbing out of that hole um, and trying to like be a good, present, positive, optimistic person for my three kids, like made it clear to me that I was like leaning into all these tools and these strategies and these tricks based in positive psychology and neuroscience. And because I've been a service journalist for 25 years, I knew how to package that and market that and fun filter that so that it could help other people. And so then I was very clearly wanted to write a book. Yeah. Um, I love, you are so positive. <laughs> I remember when we met and I was like, this woman, it is like seven in the morning and she is bouncing off the walls and I'm in hair and makeup like, oh, coffee, please. <laughs> and you were, I think you were running on the treadmill before I was, or no, we were running in place to that song. Like we were I pretending. Love that song. <laughs> but, see, so, but that's like, so exercise energizes me, movement energizes yeah. me. And, you know, I mean, I came from a place of like having a raging eating disorder as a teen. And so like, as I moved through all that and started to understand that movement was medicine, it wasn't punishment. You don't, yep. you don't move to negate calories, right? Like, in, and that food was fuel and it, and it wasn't this thing to be manipulated. It was just fuel. And what if I thought about what it does and, and what the point of it is, if it's fuel that I put in the car you know, like if those things started to change for me and I just live, started to live differently. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't think we ever talked about that, like our similar stories. And I, I was still probably caught in your previous mode of over. I mean, I was, when I met you, I was probably working out three hours a day. 
between. But, but was that kids. partly because that was your job too, right? Like, I mean, you were a fitness professional. Right. But my neurosis led me to my job. Got it. Okay. You know what I mean? And, um, and, you know, New York, just the pace of it. I mean, you get enough exercise running around New York. At least I did teaching from class to class. I didn't have to mm-hmm. do extra exercise, but I did. I was on that treadmill, like overdoing cardio and my eating was, it was, see, that's a, I felt like that was the thing with eating disorders is that you can mask it as healthy, right? Yeah. Because everyone saw me eating so healthy, but for what I was doing, I was way undernourished. Yeah. And that that's the, so you know, I come from that, I came from that background too. But by the time I was at Self Magazine as the fitness director, like I had it all, I had worked through that crap, right? Because I started, yeah. I mean, I was in the hospital for an eating disorder when I was 16. By the mm-hmm. time I was, you know, 26, 10 years later, or 30, when I was working at Self Magazine, I had moved all, I had moved through all of that. I was in a very different place. And I was so grateful for this job to be able to give yeah. people the tools to turn to exercise as medicine and as a way to keep the cray at bay and like work out to work through your problems. Um, so that job, I, w- I mean, I did that job for nine years because it was such a joy. Yeah. What shifted for you? Did you get, prof- I mean, you said you ended up in the hospital, but did you seek professional help after that? Or was that kind of the wake up call that you needed to shift your perspective? You know, it's, it's interesting because so my best friend and I were both sick. Um, and once I landed in the hospital, her parents were like, okay, we're going to put her in the hospital program with you. And in route to the hospital, she jumped out of the car and died. Um, and so in that moment, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm 16 and I'm in an eating disorder program. And now my best friend is dead and I feel guilty. Um, and I've never actually experienced loss before. So it's the first loss I've experienced. You know, I hadn't even lost a goldfish. Like, I mean, that was the first loss was my best friend. Um, and I had all this guilt surrounding her death. So that, that was very, very challenging. I wound up in and out of the hospital for a year and I wound up moving out of my house and living with my aunt and uncle um, cause I just couldn't face going back to school. And then ultimately I made a TV movie about our, our story. Mm. Um, and then I wrote a very powerful essay about the adversity as I began to overcome it a bit through the help of lots of inpatient and outpatient and, you know, five different therapists and a really supportive, loving family, I started to move through it. Yeah. Um, That's one of the things I I did a post on social media the other day is basically try not to judge people that always seem happy and positive on social media because, you know, maybe they have no idea what struggle is, but more likely you have no idea what they, what they've been through to get Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're not obliged to tell you their story. I mean, obviously you shared that story in the book, but no one owes you their story. And if someone feels called to share, so it, so people can relate to them more deeply or they feel more real, that's great, but no one has to share their story. And I just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, I think of, I said, well, your feelings about, about looking at a positive person and how you feel tells you more about yourself than it does. hundred percent. Yeah. And I've got tons of haters and, and there's a couple of things like, first, I refuse to participate in the hardship Olympics, like whatever <laughs> anybody's going through, that's hard. And that's uniquely your hard. Um, 
all that really matters is how you come through your hard thing, what perspective you gain from your hard thing. It's your hard thing. And I like laugh about this, but like your hard thing could be stubbing your toe and that could be the worst thing that ever happened. My hard thing could be losing my dad to pancreatic cancer. And that's my hard thing. It doesn't matter what your hard thing is. It matters how you react to your hard thing, how you come through your hard thing, what perspective you gain from your hard thing. But this is not the fucking hardship Olympics. Like, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to show you compassion. And I think that's what we all need to do. Compassion over competition. Own your bad thing. Don't judge mine. It's not, it's not bad enough for, the, you know, I've, I had a hater on Amazon, you know, who had a horrible story, who had been raped and molested and all these awful things. And, you know, gave me a two-star review because what did I know of pain? You know, I hadn't been through the ringer enough to be able to order, offer advice and my heart broke because like it's an Amazon review. So I can't even reach out to her and be like, Hey girl, like, I wish I could get you therapy. Like I'm not the answer to your problems. I'm an answer to some problems, but I'm not, you know, you, you need more, you need deeper, you know, more concentrated help. Like I'm giving strategies, strategies that could make tomorrow more awesome. I'm not fixing anybody. I'm not a shrink. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person who's been a service journalist for 25 years, who's had really amazing access to researchers, PhD studies, case studies, training and working with real people for nine years on the self-challenge. And, and I use myself as a guinea pig. And a lot of this stuff works. It's not Megan Murphy says, it's science says. And guess what? If like one of these tools in this fully charged toolkit works for you, amazing. Because guess what? you're going to live with more grit and grace and it's going to feel good. And it's going to feel better than maybe in that dark place you're in right now. And I know it's a dark place because you're hating on me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people, um, you know, I cleanse my social media, uh, my Instagram account quite frequently. Um, (laughs) And, and again, it's not that I want to deny that there's suffering, but it doesn't do me any good to focus on it. I know what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people I follow have the same approach as you, that when someone sends them like the most vile vitriol, like I hope you s- trip on a rock, fall on a blade and slit your throat. Like I've seen some of that, like really yeah. bad that that person says, I'm sending you so much love. Cause there's nothing you can You're do. In pain. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing is, and I, I remind myself that it's very easy to hate. Hate's yeah. a very simple emotion, right? Like we're programmed for negativity. Our negativity bias is strong. Hate is a cop-out. I mean, I've raised my kids to believe there's no room for hate in our hearts. And yay, because I'm, I'm very proud to be raising good humans who may suck at math, but they're really good people. <laughs> um, you know, but like hate is easy. And it's even easier to hate things you don't understand. So if you don't understand me and your reaction is, oh, I hate her. She's toxically positive, like F her. Oh God, I feel sorry for you. Like you're wasting energy hating someone who's positive because I didn't struggle enough. Whoa, there's so much more productive stuff you could be doing with that energy. And at the end of the day, it actually doesn't matter to me what you think, because I like me. Yeah, I know that that my core beliefs and the energy that I put out into this world is constructive and good and positive and helpful and joyful. Um, And hey, listen, you you don't need to be a part of that, but 
if you hate it, what does that say about you? Yeah, it's also easier too, right? When you when you said um, you don't understand me, like they don't know your story, and and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's also much easier when you're not looking somebody in the face. And this this technology, one of the things I love that you said about Instagram, like it's been very helpful for me actually, as long as I use it wisely, like the, mm-hmm. that discernment of how we use social media. But the downside is it makes it very easy for someone to say, "You have no idea about me. I hate you." Mm-hmm. And listen, I mean, the other interesting thing in a lot of the research points to this is that I actually don't get, um, on my Instagram account, I don't get any of that hate or any of that negativity. The place I'll get it is like an Amazon review where there is no interaction or there is no recourse or there is no real Megan Murphy. Because I think that if you were to look at any of the Instagram accounts I run from the yay list to at Megan B. Murphy to the love letter I keep for my town, I run a social media called Bestfield, New Jersey for my town. Um, there's no haters on those, those content feeds because that content is so overwhelmingly positive and joyful and celebratory that you'd have to be a real asshole to put yourself out there in one of those positive contexts. And that's what all the research said, like on a Facebook feed, if the overarching message is positive, you're going to have very few really nasty haters slide in there. Yeah. Um, and if they do, they're going to get, they're going to get sunshined out. Right. Like, cause it's like <laughs> negativity loves company, right? It's, yeah. That's the same. It's, it's the misery loves company effect. It's negativity loves company. And it doesn't want to be on, it doesn't want to be on blast in a place of positivity. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, if you believe like law of attraction, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. When you stay in this state, and this has been recent for me, like I, you know, I've had a lot of struggle, all internal, really. Like I've got everything going for me. I know that. Like I'm physically healthy, probably best health I've ever been. You know, um, I have a good education. Like all, I, I have all the checked boxes, right? That set somebody up for success. And my struggle was, and this is the story of my book, really, my internal world, right? I struggled with self confidence. Um, like, who am I to be this person that that probably um, detracted from a little bit from my experience as a fitness professional and being on camera, like, I, I was really good on camera, and it came easily to me. But I always there was a part of me that never thought I belonged there. Like, That's even the imposter we syndrome. Yeah, yeah. That, when we and, I, and it was for me, like, well, who am I, you know, I who there's always somebody better that knows more and who am I to help people? And it, it's a, it can be debilitating sometimes. Yeah. No, it's funny. Cause I, I'm, you know, as a new author, I've talked to some of my friends who are like New York times, bestselling authors and, and really like wildly successful in the author world. And a lot of them have sort of said to me, and I'll have this moment where I have complete imposter syndrome. And I can't believe that I get I got to write this book or that this book is so wildly successful. Who am I? You know, I think everybody has those moments when you put yourself out there in such a big way. I mean, it's, it's, you're not going to be unwaveringly confident. There's going to be those moments where you're like, am I enough? How do you overcut? Like where, where does in those moments, what is your toolkit? I I have to pause and practice being present. I think if I can just ground myself in the right now and, and think about the what is versus the what if I I'm usually, I usually can snap out of it. Mm -hmm. 
I've recently started, you know, we don't want to ruminate on the past, but I've recently started reminiscing. Um, I kind of looked through some old artifacts and found my diploma. Um, some of the magazines, like the self magazine, the spread that we did. And I look back and I was like, wow, I've really kind of accomplished a lot. It does some cool stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a that's an interesting resiliency trick. And I, I talk about that to the book too, is like thinking back to either things you've overcome or successes you've had, that, that can help make you stronger and fortify your resolve in the present. Yeah. The other thing I do too is that, I mean, my faith has really grown um, in the past, particularly year, you know, this past year, because there was really nowhere to turn, right? Like <laughs> I had, to, I, I lived by myself. Um, I lost my kitty cat like in April, like pretty early on during the lockdowns. So I just had to, there was, I had no choice, but to just sit with yeah. it and yeah. nowhere else to turn. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, I know you don't meditate. <laughs> I know you're, I don't know if it's changed, but I know you're not a big fan, but I understand that your exercise, like I get that your exercise is your time right? Yeah. To process and to, especially probably running. Um, you know, and I, I hadn't been a runner. I became a runner again during lockdown because mm-hmm. I was more of like an early morning gym girl. I love my, my good vibe tribe. I love my posse and Dawn patrol at from different boutique fitness to different boutique fitness, whether it's SLT or orange theory or a hot yoga. Like we kind of just had this morning crew that would bounce from different gyms. Um, and when that was taken away from me, that was actually really, really hard because it was there was so much community around it. Yeah, so that was all my that was my friendships. That was my outlet. That was everything. And so that was a hard adjustment. And it was like, okay, I got this Peloton bike, and if I virtually high five people, it feels like a little like something. But then I started to get really like having relationships in my head with the different instructors. Like, okay, my friend Kendall, she likes lightning bolts too. She's got a lightning bolt necklace. Right, she's gonna get me through this and doing some zoom workouts and then returning to running just because I wanted to get the hell out of my house I have three kids a dog and a husband there was just moments where I was like okay I think maybe I could run so I could be alone for five miles um and then crying in the shower I mean that became very cathartic for me just like that release um allowing myself to just have that moment to reset and release in a hot shower was really important and helpful what is it about shower? I do the same thing. Like it's something about, I think the water, like you said, the cleansing and the release. Well, you're, so naked. Good like you're, you're vulnerable, like you're yeah. physically vulnerable. You're physically naked. Um, that hot water is soothing and the steam. And, and it's like, you know, you can't even discern between your tears and the water at some point. And it's just all, you know, physically and metaphorically just rinsing away. Yeah. Almost like, I think there's a sense of safety too. Like the, like you said, the warm, the water, like being in the womb a little bit, like baths Mm -hmm. too for me do it. Just that sense of like naked vulnerability. Nobody else sees I'm I'm safe and I'm. Baths were good until I had kids. And then my tub is just a hot mess of like toys and shit. And like, whoa, I'm like, now I don't, I don't really want to climb in the tub. It's no longer like. There's very few safe spaces left for you. That changed, you know? I mean, I was like hiding in the pantry, hiding in my closet, hiding in the shower. I have mom friends who would like lock themselves in the backseat of the car and just get a good cry. 
I have a friend I talked to on Friday night in Virginia. <laughs> she was Zooming and she put herself in her closet and her husband came in. And he's like, I'd really like to take a shower. And she's like, you're going to need to wait because I need to be in the closet and not have your noise anywhere near me. I'm having a conversation with my friend. Yeah, just like, let me have this. Yeah, it's wild. It's just, you know, like, the, but then, you know, as we've like returned to quote unquote normal a little bit, like here in New Jersey, I'm longing for some of that bubble. You know, I mean, it was also kind of nice to just be me and my family of five kind of secure. And, you know, I didn't experience that loneliness of being on my own during such a trying time. Like I could really lean on and lean into my family and it, we brought us really close together, which was cool. That's great. Cause I had a conversation, the, the podcast that's out now with Michaela Bohm, um, you know, she said she calls them fault lines, right? So even before the the lockdowns, she called them fault lines, meaning everything kind of came to light in positive and negative ways. So some people, you know, fortunately got closer with their families and really realized what they had and leaned mm-hmm. into it. And others kind of, yeah. you know, saw the saw well, the fault like- line. Yeah. And a lot of people said it was like, it was like, it was adding light, lighter fluid to, so if you were in love, maybe it, you were now really in love or if yeah. you were on the fence or in hate, now you're, it just, it was like an accelerant for relationships. Correct. Um, and luckily the foundation of my relationships was really strong. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have married somebody that I really love and respect and who's my friend. And for me, I, you know, I missed my, I didn't realize how much I missed my kids as a really busy working mom. So just the, the more time with them was just really enlightening. Like, wow, I'm missing things I didn't realize I was missing and I don't want to give that back. Mm. Do you have to? What's what's the status? Are you going in sometimes? And um, I have, we went back once for like an editor-in-chief meeting. Um, and in September, they're we will be back in some capacity, but we're not exactly sure what that looks like yet. Mm-hmm. Has it been an easy, I mean, have you been able to get everything done via virtual? You know, it's interesting because I took over as the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day right at the beginning of lockdown. So I've never really been in a physical space with my team. Like we've mm-hmm. kind of reinvented the magazine, done everything via Slack and Zoom and phone calls. So so to me, it's like, I'm not really missing anything because I don't know any differently. So I feel more efficient. I'm not commuting three hours a day. And right. so, you know, and also now I can have a family dinner, take a break from work. And if a cover needs to ship, I can then at nine o'clock after I put my kids to bed, log back on and finish the cover versus I used to stay in the office until nine o'clock. Yeah. And get home at 11. Yeah. So, you know, my life is better in many, many ways. And, and I'm sure the creative process would be different and, and potentially better in some ways physically in an office, but I can't fathom going back ever five days a week. Yeah. I hope we find some balance, right? That, that well, I mean, you talk about, I've been, I binge listened to your book this weekend. So <laughs> lots of walks <laughs> and hikes. Um, but that you said the goal is to connect with others and inspire them to live their best lives. And you're so social. I can imagine you miss some of that physical mm-hmm. connection, right? And you talk, talk about the, the, 
importance of that. And we do get some of that from work. A hundred percent. But I also get some of that through, you know, my cashier at the shop, right. And from my, you know, pharmacist and from my neighbors, right. Like I stood outside yesterday on a Sunday and chit chat with the Mancini's for 15 minutes. And, and, I love this old couple. I call them the walking next door app. They know everything about everybody. They give me the whole update. And I, I like come in after that and I'm energized, right? Because I, yeah. I just need people. I need people. But I get those jolts from all different walks of life and all different kinds of people just being kind and engaging and recognizing anyone's humanity um, fills my reserves. Yeah, I, I remember that point in your book and I um, resonated so strongly with it because being alone. And a lot of my social came from work, like going on auditions and just seeing like they weren't close. What did you call them? Um, not secondary relationship. What was it? Weak ties, weak ties. And I was like, what a great, that they're not less important. They can actually, or, you know, they can, that's I always say that I'm like researchers call them weak ties. And I think it's almost a misnomer because they have, they have the, they have strength. There's power in those weak ties. There's a lot of strength in weak ties. And it's as simple as during the pandemic, I would find myself sometimes sitting on my porch with a mask on waiting for the UPS guy because I just wanted to engage with Anthony, see how he was doing today, you know, and and have a couple of moments and chit chat or because people need people and introverts and extroverts need different things and different from different people. But, but at the end of the day, we all need people. That's the basis of, of happiness. Like relationships are one of the key tenets of the perma theory of wellness and wellness in general. You can't thrive if you're lonely. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that saved me. I mean, I realized a lot of my life, a lot of my social interactions were built around these weak ties, like seeing people at auditions, teaching, right? These weren't my best friends. And they but- don't need to be. Yeah. yeah. But it kept me, you know, seeing my GFM, my group fitness managers, I love them. And we would sit and chat and all of that was stripped away. So, I mean, everyone's like, are you just buying groceries for a month? I'm like, no, I'm going out every couple of days because that's the only thing I have is the cashiers at Whole Foods or, yeah. and that's the yeah. only thing, you know, yeah. that kept me going. And this, I learned, I was on a lot of walks in Topanga, met a lot of my neighbors. So my community felt stronger which yeah. was nice, but important. we're still a little isolated. It's not like I can look next door and see my neighbor. Like people have to be out walking because yeah. it's a canyon and people are nestled in. And yeah, um, but yeah, that was such an eye opener for me that the, the benefit of those maybe maybe loose ties or loose bonds. I don't know. Yeah, weak is a misnomer. Researchers call them weak, but yeah, but a key is just being aware that those interactions matter. And sometimes for someone, that's as simple as like picking your head up on a walk and making eye contact, saying hi, you know, that's important. We don't realize how important that is. The barista who knows your name, that actually matters. It matters a lot. Yeah. I've gotten into the habit of looking at people's name tags. I think you mentioned this, you know, and calling them by their names, the cashiers and and the checkout people. And I know a lot of them now at Air One and the Palisades and have conversations. and And that's a big deal. Like, and that's like, knowing that and noticing how that makes you feel and how it makes them feel. Yeah. It's small. And that's the thing. It doesn't mean you're going to go home and braid each other's hair or have a barbecue, but you're acknowledging each other. You're acknowledging the fact that, Hey, like we're all in this together. And and there is a sense of community here and that we matter and you matter and we all matter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I wanted to touch on, because that was starting, I don't know how we, we went a little off, but um, we didn't go off. I, but my, what I wanted to ask you about, so you don't meditate. We started talking about your workouts mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, but it feels like everyone I know that has the outlook that you do, right? The positivity, the, this kind of able to find the good, right? And everything, um, despite the challenges. Do you have a faith practice? Were you brought up with religion? Is there some sort of spiritual connection for you? Um, I was raised Catholic. Uh, my kids are ironically now in Catholic school because it was a full day program. So everyone's in private Catholic school this year. Um, but I don't have a strong religious faith. Mm. Um, I wouldn't even really consider myself like a practicing Catholic. Like I'm, I, I don't, you know, obviously we celebrate the holidays and I believe in some sort of higher power, but, but it's not a huge motivator for me. Um, and that's my truth. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think because you, like you said, your time itself, you had, you seem very connected to science, like studies and proof and, um, you know, lived experience of other people. And I think mistakenly people think those are two different. What I found is that science and spirituality actually converge and meet. Um, I, I don't have a penchant towards numbers and stats and I could care less because I have, for me, it's my, it's my spiritual faith that keeps me positive and connected in my connection to God. But again, I feel I like whatever the thing is, so like, I would say, am I going, am I going to church every Sunday? No. But do I believe that cardinals somehow are embodying my father's spirit? Or do I feel that when I'm collecting sea glass on the beach, I'm closer to him? I mean, I, I believe in things and I believe in the energy right. of the universe and I believe in the power of the universe. I believe that there is something bigger than me. Mm. Um, I don't give it a name. Right. Yeah. And I think that's fine. You know, wherever people find it, I agree with you. You know, I, I wasn't raised with religion at all. Um, and I had, I found my own way. I found it through spiritual teachings through Tantra, through yoga, meditation. Um, but I think that faith in something, like you said, you I love that story about finding the glass on the beach, the sea glass, um, and having that, that reminds you of your dad, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel closest to him when my kids and I are on the beach searching for those little tiny treasures. And I think that was part of how he wanted to be remembered. It was something that he did with his 11 grandchildren. He would go to Michael's craft store and buy fake sea glass and put it in his pockets. And he'd walk with them on the beach in Long Branch, New Jersey. And he would like, you know, sprinkle it around so that to make sure everybody found the sea glass, right? Cause it's hard to find sea glass. Um, and they would all just like wildly celebrate finding these treasures on the beach with him. And that was part of how he wanted to be remembered. He wanted us to continue that legacy of searching for sea glass. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful metaphor for life, right? Like there's so much possibility, there's so much hope. And even there's a beautiful poem that I had shared on Instagram about sea glass, but like it's, it's, it's more special and actualized because of its, because it's broken, because yeah. it's been broken apart and roughed up by the wage, the waves. And, and now it's this treasure, right? And I just think that's so beautiful. 
Yeah. Well, I think, like you said, it's you're finding beauty somewhere. I think when mm-hmm. you when you look outside, and obviously right now for me, there's clouds and gray everywhere and it's smoke. Um, but there's simultaneously beauty all around me. And what do you choose to see? Yeah. Well, and that's like the 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 one thing is that people are, you know, toxic positivity is such a buzzy kind of term in wellness circles right now. And I think that's the key is that you see the smoke. It's not that you're turning a blind eye to what sucks. Like you're recognizing that, but you're not letting that debilitate you. You're not allowing that to be the only thing you see. And that's the difference. I look on the bright side, but I also see the dark side. I see all the sides, but I'm going to choose the sun because it's just a more pleasant place to live. Yeah. And it feels better. And your life seems to go. I mean, for me, my life has seemed to go a lot more seamless. Like there's just less stress mm-hmm. and anxiety. And I just, I, selfish as it may be, I just feel better. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I feel kind of unflappable. I feel like no matter what happens, mm-hmm. I have the resources and I have the toolkit to handle those things. Like even I got COVID three weeks before my book was about to come out. And I'm like, that wasn't ideal but I leaned into my toolkit and I accepted the gifts in that adversity and allowed it to, you know, power me forward. Yeah. And, and kind of the spiritual or spiritual psychology world, we call it shadow work, right? You're not afraid to go into the depths of your emotions that are, that any sort of troubling times are bringing up like the death of your father. You're not afraid mm-hmm. to feel, go through and release knowing there'll be another side or getting to the other side of it. Um, And it's, I think that there is a danger we call spiritual bypassing. I'm sure like what you said, toxic positivity, it's the same thing. It's not, it's not acknowledging the dark, you know, just being like rainbows, unicorns. Yeah. And I think I give this example to people like, you know, like a Instagram platitude, like good vibes only that's actually toxically positive because it can't be good vibes only. It can be good vibes mostly, right? But but sometimes the vibes are bad and you have to understand those. You have to accept those. You have to work through those. And, and hell, they might actually even help you to better appreciate the good vibes, but it can't be only one thing. Yeah, I need to, uh, I need to modify my sweatshirt. I do have a sweatshirt that says good vibes only. I know, I know. Well, because, and it's it's, it's interesting because it is one of those, you know, I mean, it's one of those Instagram platitudes or those, you know, it's that bumper sticker wisdom that when you take a deeper think, you're like, ah, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Well, I think when you realize it's just a sweatshirt and a bumper sticker, it doesn't, yeah. you know, yeah. doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean yeah. it's how I live my life. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you, some of your favorite tools? Like, when you are, I know you said running is a new thing. Um, how about like tools that you've always used, older tools or new tools? Yeah, I mean, I, like, so in the extra charge chapter of the book, I talk about things like making your bed. Mm. I have to make my bed. I love a made bed. And there's like this insane research behind it that people who make their bed feel 84% more Um, productive in the course of a day. And it's because having that small sense of accomplishment first thing in the morning can really have this cascade effect where you're like, 
wow, I did this one good thing and I'm going to do this next positive thing and I'm going to take this next positive action step until ultimately I've had this really positive day. Um, you know, I dress up to feel up. I call it dopamine dressing. I dress the way I want to feel. So for me, that's lightning bolts and things that make me feel charged. Um, that can look different for everybody. Like you could wear a head to toe black and that makes you feel sleek and powerful, or you could wear a crazy bright earring and that's, that's your secret sauce. Really these things look differently for, look different for everybody, but, but what is your dopamine dressing? What's your power dressing? Um, and that's, what's interesting about the research too, is there's no such thing as a power outfit. It's whatever you think your power outfit is. So for me, if that's colors and bright and great, and for someone else, it's like, Taupe. That's how they feel. In charge. Like, Taupe is my jam. Taupe is dope. Oh, I like that. Um, you know, so that kind of looks different for everybody, but it's just understanding there are these certain things. Like, if, you know, I protect my sleep, I sleep trained myself the way I sleep trained my children. I have a routine, I have a sleep routine that I protect. And that means I go to bed by 1017 and I'm up at 503 without an alarm because I have regulated my circadian rhythms. That looks different for everybody. You might like to stay up to 1am and you might want to sleep later. You find your rhythm and you stick to it. Um, yeah. The key is this, that if you need to catch up on sleep on the weekend, then your rhythm is off and you need to tweak it. But protecting your sleep, making sure you're moving your body, making sure you're getting that vitamin D. I mean, None of this is groundbreaking news, right. but it's all important. And, and some of these strategies might be the thing that moves your happiness needle. It was so funny, the clothing thing. Um, about two years ago, you know, I'm always in sweats and stretchy pants and I actually don't like them that much. I love sweats. I hate yeah. tight Lycra. I, I prefer baggy t-shirts, sweatshirts, you know, dance, dance studio gear which was always like with photo shoots. I'm like, oh, they're like, we want to see your abs. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but um, I decided about two years ago, I'm like enough of this. I'm going to make an effort that if I can, I'll either shower at the gym and change. So when I leave, I have even jeans and a t-shirt, which is more my style. I'm very much California casual, like jeans, t-shirts, boots, this kind of sweater. Like I'm not yeah. a dresser upper, but I hired, um, a friend of mine who's Tyra Banks stylist. And I said, can you come to my closet? And I need to, I need to adult my wardrobe. I don't want to be wearing athleisure wear my whole life. <laughs> and we got a couple key pieces and she worked with some of this stuff. She goes, you have a lot of good stuff. You just need to use it and pair it. Like, this is your style. You are a casual style. So we don't want to change that. But she you know, just like a, a camisole, like a black, sexy camisole, like that with jeans, that with pants, that under a blazer, that over, you know, it, it changed something for me. And I'm like, oh, I feel empowered. I feel sexy. Yeah. I feel like I can show off my shape and not have to be wearing Lycra anymore. You see, that's a big deal. Like that you have deal. to dress the way you want to feel and understand that, you know, clothes are powerful. Yeah. I love, oh my God, you have to follow Megan on Instagram, everybody. Like the boots and the tool skirt and the <laughs> sweater, stuff I would never imagine putting I mean, together. I was like a theater major too. So like, oh. I love a costume. I love, I, I love clothes and I love playing dress up. Yeah. Are you getting to do that a little bit? 
I mean, I do, I've been very lucky. Like my tutu, my friend Amanda Perna, who's a designer, um, she made that for me, and she made me a lightning bolt dress for my book launch for my Today Show segment. And then my other girlfriend made this green sweater that says "Yay" and a lightning bolt. So I have a lot of custom clothes now that like really talented friends have made for me. I have a jean jacket that says "Living Fully Charged," and like I mean, I just have some really fun stuff because I've. I just have talented friends who've been really generous. And you you have a lot of accessories, I notice, your bracelets. Oh, I always have like quite an arm party, yeah. That's a scrunchie, <laughs> and a scrunchie. Um, yeah. yeah, this is like kind of like a security blanket for me. They're all so meaningful and they like represent people and places and adventures and mm. you know things in my life. And I just like them close to me at all times. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the toughest part writing the book? Well, it was due in April, and that was like the very beginning of lockdown, where I had like I'm homeschooling three kids. I had just taken over the magazine. Um, that was like a surreal time, right? Because it was like we didn't really know what the hell COVID was, like in the midst of this pandemic. Um, and I was just getting up at four o'clock in the morning, furiously writing and then like rethinking some things and, and knowing this book was going to come out in February. And, and how did that change the things I wanted to say or didn't want to say, or like, it was just such a crazy wild time to be putting the, giving birth to this book. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the biggest challenge of the timing. What happened? I think the the time, it was the timing. Cause like, yeah. you know, I had, I sold the the 80 page treatment I knew exactly what the book was and then like the world really got turned upside down and it mm. was like you know that moment of doubt of like do people need this message right now yes wait maybe they need it more than ever am I the right person to give this message right now yes you know I need to believe in this because I'm leaning into all of these things to get through this year um but it was just I mean was unlike anything I could have ever imagined that yeah. just that time in my own life yeah well in that resiliency I feel the past 15 months again I was talking with Michaela about it whether you had luxury like I did in space and time to kind of really go in and do some internal work like process and deal mm -hmm. or you didn't we all had to become find some sort of resiliency tools yeah yeah, 100%. The recharge chapter of the book is all about building resilience in the face of loss. And, you know, ultimately, when I wrote that chapter, it was about the loss of my dad, the loss of my best friend, and how I worked through those things. But in that moment, when I was finishing the book, I mean, the loss was a global pandemic, I felt like we were all mourning, we were mourning our safety, we were mourning our freedom, we were some of us were mourning lost loved ones and jobs. And it was, it was this state of global grief and so that chapter became really really important to me because those resiliency tools were something that I needed more than ever yeah what are your go-to songs music oh my gosh well like so my go-to song <laughs> is disco tits but I didn't I'm did you say disco tits yes and and I like <laughs> should have known by the name of like it's, it's, I'm fully charged, my tits are hard, I'm ready to go. But like, the fact that the, the lyric, my tits are hard, was just sort of lost on me because I was so excited that she was singing that she was fully charged. 
<laughs> that it was kind of like ignoring the the hard the fact that it's called disco tits and so that is my current favorite song for cardio and just pumping up in general but i i'm aware that it's inappropriate <laughs> it's going on the lead that's how i'm leading into this whole episode i'm going to start with disco tits. disco tits well it's it was like i was doing this like big corporate presentation and they're like what do you want your pump up song do you come out to and I'm like oh disco tits and then they're listening to it and they're like we're just we can't use that song for our 400 international clients and I was like oh it says my tits are hard oops (laughs) oops oh I just I just heard the fully charged part (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so okay what was your what was your replacement song um it was a david and i don't say his name right david i'm now i'm gonna look on my spotify it's easier when i just look on my that spotify DJ guy that david Guetta? okay so here okay wait yeah disco tits is tove low um, I do. I love Will. I am. I like oh. Scream and Shout with Britney. Oh, David Guetta on the dance floor. David That's Guetta. It. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Um, I like 212 with Azalea Banks. I love that. So I used to play that in my cycle it's class all the like time. It's kind of fresh, but it's also kind of fresh, right? But I yeah. like it. Um, boss bitch by Doja Cat, work bitch by Brittany. You see a theme here, <laughs> boss bitch, work bitch. Anything with bitch. Oh my gosh, Levels by Nick Jonas. Oh, levels, 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 levels. <laughs> levels, 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 levels. I like, I, I like when I'm running in the park, it makes me do like a little, little jig. Levels, a little leap, little prance. Like I, I prance. So I really. Oh, I also love feeling myself with Will I Am and Miley. Hmm. I mean, those are like that. That these are the some of the things on my fully charged run playlist. You're very contemporary. Neil Diamond. I feel like if I hear it on like TikTok, then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. That, that's kind of like, oh yeah, I like that song. Maybe that's where I'm missing out. I don't, I don't have TikTok. Not enough TikTok. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not enough TikTok. Yeah, now I'm looking, yeah, th- like those I would think, those are like my, my keys right now. I'll put all those in the liner notes. Yeah. I think <laughs> so everyone's got to. I think you should. Do you have a playlist? Like, um, you have more Jen Aniston vibes than you've ever had. Do you feel that? I feel like you you look more like Jen Aniston than ever before. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It's the blonde. I was in Florida last week with my mom. So there was a lot of like, it's not just the sun, it's the salt water. It gets me really. Yeah. Your hair looks good. It's got a little beach wave, super blonde. I haven't, I have not put a hair dryer like done this probably in a year and a half. So I, I go to bed with my hair wet and I try to smooth out the like frizz in the morning, looks but that's good. It's my trick now. No blow dryer. Um, so how's the book been going? Like good responses, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, it was a very weird, I got to launch it on the Today Show and I got to do live with Kelly and Ryan, which was really neat. It was me and Ryan Seacrest and, um, um, oh my gosh, my, Harry Connick Jr. And oh. I was like, 
I got to go in studio for that. It was sort of weird because there's no actual audience anymore, but that was uh-huh. really a treat. And just like endless podcasts and radio shows and like just all virtual kind of promotion, which, you know, I'm an extrovert. So I was really kind of looking forward to like touring the country and like going to Barnes and Noble and signing books, but I didn't get to do any of that. Um, which was, you know, it was definitely like a little bit of a bummer for me because that's that I was like excited about that. Um, but it's all good. It's selling really well. You know, it's it's gotten up to number 18 on Amazon, thanks to Candace Cameron Bure, who gave me a nice shout out on her Instagram feed. And, you know, I've, I've friends like Jillian Michaels, who put me on her podcast and shared the book, like, you know, I've been good to people over the years who've been very good to me and, and kind of helped me spread the word. So that's been pretty cool. Um, books like this, I like to listen to, especially you have a great voice to listen to. Michaela, who I interviewed, who's out now, her podcast out now, same with her. There's something about if you're a teacher or an inspirer and it's not a dry book, you want to hear the the passion behind well, it. Well, it's just nice to hear the author saying their own words, I think. Yeah. Like it's just cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't, to be honest, any book that's not read by the author, I can't listen to, I guess, unless it's fiction. And, and if it's fiction, I don't like to audio. I don't like yeah, to audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's much. interesting too. Cause like, that's when I had COVID, I wasn't going to get to read my own book and they're going to maybe have to do a narrator. And I was like, just then don't even, let's not even bother doing it because you're like, hell no, I'll down whatever I need. To yeah. Do. Yeah. I was like, I, I had physically had COVID. So they were like, we can't have you in the studio and you can't do it from home because your house isn't quiet enough. <laughs> Shocker. That's what, that's, to be honest, I think about my book being published. I'm like, the one thing I want to do the most is read the story aloud. So fun. It's surreal. It's super cool. Is it doing just as well audio? I mean, do you have those stats? It's funny. Like they don't track the audio the same way they track. Like, so your Amazon numbers and like your rankings don't take into account your audio book or even your eBooks, I think. Um, and so I'll see, like, I'll get my, I get my numbers on Tuesdays. I've sold quite a, quite a number of audiobooks, but it doesn't somehow impact ranking. Mm. I'm like learning the book business. It's pretty wild. Um, Cause you know, you could sell thousands and thousands of books and still not be a bestseller. Someone could be a bestseller in a category who doesn't right. even sell remotely as many books as you, but their category is so specific or so niche that they're number one in their category. And I'm self-help miscellany, which is a huge category. Yeah. And yeah. self-help happiness, which is a huge category. <laughs> so I've never hit number one, but I sell a lot of books. Who can, like, you know, I mean, listen, you know, it's, I can't imagine the feeling of accomplishment, you know, and pride. It's, yeah. Like most days, <laughs> right? Like most days. Hit me up if you don't, I'll let you know Okay. how awesome <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. And that support system, you know, I, it's hard because I'm one of those, like, I'll figure it out myself and I'll do it myself and everything myself. And I'm realizing, yes, like, I, I feel like challenging times bring us that resiliency, right? Those mm-hmm. internal resources. But from there, like, you're a tribe, you, you, you need your community and, and yeah. it's nice to feel supported. Well, the other thing I've sort of said to people is like, I, I think this the pandemic's like, it's a life edit, it's a reset, right? And I think it's very important to look 
to who showed up for you on your best days and your worst days, because those are your people. And this has been like a very eye-opening experience where like when I had COVID and, and my three kids had COVID and my husband and my mom and we couldn't leave the house and we needed groceries, who was there? Yeah. The day I launched my book during a global pandemic and couldn't actually do anything, but who was cheering me on? Yeah. Who was cheering me on in both of those instances because those are my actual people. What's interesting is what I realized, like you said, I'm noticing more the people that cheer me on because I felt like I had a lot of friends because I had a lot of internal struggle that almost were friends out of my weakness, like mm-hmm. that were would always be there for me in crisis. But I talk like, about that in the book too. It, it can be easier to show up for people during bad times because there's a solution. There's a problem to solve, you know, but we're not always as likely to show up when, when, and share someone's success or cheer them on when things are already going well. Um, you know, like it's, it's interesting to think about that. Like if my husband walks in and was like, I had a crap day, I would immediately sit down, hug it out, ask him every detail. When he comes in and says he had a great day, oh, I'm so glad to go about my business, right? Like yeah. that's human nature. Yeah. And there's this, we're gonna, we're gonna band-aid a problem. We're gonna be there with a solution. We're gonna help in crisis mode, but are we doing the same on people's good days and when people share their good news? It's just something to be aware of. Well, and I find now I'm gravitating, not gravitating, but my closer bonds are the ones with people that I want to celebrate with. It kind of filtered out friends that um, were based out of need in a way. And I really just want to I mean, the same friends that cheer me on, trust me, are there for me in the bad times. But I, I find my ride or dies are really those, it's a good litmus test. Like mm-hmm. it's really the people that are there cheering me on. It's, it's, it's interesting when you begin to notice that. Yeah, yeah. And it's made me really discerning in who I spend time with mm-hmm. and, um, and that's okay because that's a form of self-care, right? Yeah. I think everyone's like, oh, and I'll go get a pedicure or a manicure. Or I'll get a facial or I'll take a nap. It's like, or edit your friendships, <laughs> like do a, do a friend audit. Like that might be the real important form of self-care, protecting your energy. Yeah. Yeah. And boundaries. I, I, I think you talked about that in the book and mm-hmm. making really yeah. clear boundaries. Um, yeah. It's been a, it's been an interesting evolution of of myself, of friendships, of things around me. And now I'm, I'm looking to translate that into my career, right? So the shift of the career and really what I want. Yeah. Did that happen for you? Like going from magazine to magazine or were they pretty much, um, like, did you feel like there was a growth process when you went from self to, cause from there you went to Women's Day, right? From self, I went to Good Housekeeping for Oh, Good years. Housekeeping, your yeah. Women's Okay. You know, I, so I, I like to think about it this way. I chase what excites me. And mm. so if I look back on my career, it's no accident that every magazine I worked at aligned completely with my life stage at the time. Mm-hmm. So during self, I was, those were my self-actualization years. It's when I got engaged. It's when I got married. It's when I had a kid and another kid and another kid. <laughs> and then I went to Good Housekeeping legitimately as I was about to give birth to my third child. And, bought, and I bought a house in the suburbs. That's when I became the executive editor of Good Housekeeping. 
So it's not, I never have lofty career goals or career plans, but I'm all, always very clear about what excites me, what engages me, what I want to be doing. Because um, then I know I'll be good at it. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> you go to good housekeeping, you buy a, you know, all of a sudden, yeah. family is the most yeah. important thing, right? Yeah. And not like work, not that working out to, yeah, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to write about it anymore. I didn't want to research about it anymore. I didn't want to be in spandex on camera with Jillian Michaels anymore. Like I just didn't yeah. want to do any of that. Like I wanted to, you know, come up with life hacks for cleaning pots and pans <laughs> and like research really safe swing sets. Like that's just what was, was more appealing to me personally and focusing on that, working on that made me good at it. Yeah. I they think care. that's, yeah, that's interesting with, like you said in the book, there's different people for people like you and I, I think our careers are an extension of our life and our mm -hmm. interests and our passions. Um, and that's not everybody and that's fine. No. You know? And I, and then in the work charge chapter of the book, um, I, I give some helpful advice that if your job is simply a paycheck and it, it's paying the bills there are strategies you can use to focus not on the what of the work, because if the what can't change, the what is the paycheck, how can you focus on these other three key areas of work? And that is the who, the how, and the why. And I give lots of strategies around those kind of tent poles to, to make your work, to find meaning in whatever it is you're doing, and therefore make it tolerable if it's gonna just be that paycheck. Right. And then taking that and realizing what the paycheck brings you, right? More yeah. time with your family, more freedom, exactly. whatever it is. Exactly. The paycheck is your purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not one of the, like, I have to have a vested mm -hmm. interest in my work and that's just been me. Like I said, there's different personalities. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that I'm a, like, I, I can't fathom getting on camera and doing one more workout. I just can't. I don't want to do it. No. And, and everyone hears, but you're so good. You should do this. And you should create a program, like a certification. I'm like, oh. you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to be good at it. Yeah. And we'll be, it'll be, it'll be tedious. Then it will feel like work. Exactly. I have to admit, looking back, my work has never felt like work. Yeah. I, and me either. That's why I'm always like, oh, I have never really had these big lofty goals. I just it, it chased what excited me. Yeah. Yeah. And from what you say, it's not cooking. It's not cooking. <laughs> Thankfully, my husband cooks. I married well. <laughs> yeah. What is, what's, what's your favorite meal of his that he cooks? Um, he, we've been really like during quarantine, Taco Tuesday is a big deal, but that's kind of standard Taco Tuesday. Yeah. Um, he does this like pulled chicken in the crock pot situation that we eat on with lettuce wraps and hot sauce. It's like delicious. And it's got like some kind of ranch seasoning and cream cheese, but it's like pulled chicken. It's delightful. That's what I love too about, um, your, your food aspect of social media and it's enjoyable. Like the food you eat is enjoyable. You're not talking about dieting and, mm -hmm. and there's a joy around eating and food for you. And obviously you still have restrictions. That's within the restrictions that you have, right? Celiac disease and, food yeah. food, but there's not this panic and this it's this one way and you have to be this way and you see a lot of variety and 
Well, you- and I think being a mom made that even easier for me, yeah. right? Like, cause the last thing I want to do is raise disordered kids. So I want to be a really good mom mirror for them and, and show them that food is a fuel. We like really work hard on, on being clear about what food does. So if mm. it's blueberries, well, blueberries have antioxidants in them and, and that can help fight cancer. And if it's dairy, it has vitamin D in it. And guess what vitamin D does? Protein helps you synthesize muscle and carbohydrates give you energy. Sugar, well, you know what? It doesn't do a whole lot for your body, but it does taste good. So that makes it an, a sometimes food versus right. an always food like broccoli. So yeah. let's just know that we have to create balance around that. And so- if you're going to have dessert, then you're not having a Sprite too, right? Like, right. Yeah. What, what does balance look like? And, and it's, it's interesting. I, I feel proud and I think it's working, especially with my daughter, who I would worry the most about. She's a tween um, and she really healthy relationship with food. It's not like I can't eat that or that's off limits or this is going to make me fat. It's like, Oh, that's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of empty calories. It's not going to really fuel my body in a great way, but it tastes good. And so if I'm going to have this cookie or this brownie, then I want to make sure I have, you know, salad for dinner so that I feel like, you know, I'm getting my nutrients like that. It's, it's just a, it's a been a pretty great approach to eating. That's worked well with my kids, sometimes foods and always foods and really focusing on what food does versus mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God bless you for raising a daughter right now. I, I can't imagine. I it's can't really imagine. Hard. It's really hard. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, I found too that the, when a lot of the issues that cause my eating disordered thinking and all of that, instead of like working from the outside in, when I worked from the inside out, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the things I thought were bad for me or would upset my stomach. Don't like, I love cheese now. And I, I used to be like, I can't eat dairy. I can't like the cans. Right. Yeah. And I, and I've never had any sort of autoimmune or serious disease around food. It's always been in here. So once I fixed the intern, not fixed, but gone through whatever internal pain was causing that behavior, I can pretty much eat anything now. Like I said, in the right environment, like, Oh my God, cheese. Yes. Love it. so I I feel like now food is and I'm missing sharing it with people I miss sharing food with people right now plus I'm Greek and Italian it's like fish and cheese and you know there's a lot to be said for that too that um that when I'm learning about and a nutritionist in Austin that one of the first things he asked me is what's your heritage I said I'm Greek Italian and a little bit of Polish he goes yeah, no wonder, because this is when Austin, I wasn't finding friends. I wasn't finding my niche. I wasn't finding my community. And he goes, you need community. You need like people to cook for and eat with. And that energy around food yeah, yeah, brings yeah. me a lot of joy. I love cooking for people. What's next yes. for the magazine? Um, you know, I'm, I've got we're working on what issue are we are we're, we're starting to look at fall we're start, already starting to think about it. halloween which i love to think about um and we've just got you know a lot we, we celebrate everything so the the woman's day is destination celebration no holiday left behind from taco tuesday to christmas and we really get an opportunity to party and so it's it's a very joyful experience making the magazine um 
and we just look for reasons to celebrate. So there's that. That's fun. Is that your mantra? Did you bring that or was that, has that yeah. Women's Day? Yeah, no, I sort of re-energized it a bit. I like to say I fully charged Women's Day. I sort of came in as I'm finishing my book and was like, what do I feel like people need right now? And I, and I felt like a, a dose of joy, um, an injection of joy. So that's what we did. We just made a destination celebration. I feel like you did that with like good. I think of, I used to think of good housekeeping and like oh, old women. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I, and you gave it this fresh. Yeah, we made it cool. Like I think you know we we really did kind of dust off that brand as well, um, and that was really fun to work on. I enjoyed my time there, and my boss from Good Housekeeping is still my boss um, at Woman's Day. It's like they're kind of sister publications a bit, so right. it's. All- one lifestyle group at Hearst. Nice, nice. Yeah, what's the next ho- What's the next big holiday for you? What's your next big um, day? Well, I, I decorated for Memorial Day yesterday. So my house is vomiting Americana right now. They're just like red, white, and blue, and flags, and Yay. all the things. When is that? The end of the month? Yeah. I oh. think it's the 28th is the... I think the 28th, it's whatever that last Monday or like last, it's coming up. Coming up. That's all we need to do. Good exactly. enough for you to have the decoration. Yeah, it's coming and, up. And then the one, I love your, what do you call yourself? The CSO, right? The Chief Spirit, Chief Spirit Officer. Yeah. And everything. It, your community, yeah. My, right? my former mayor did appoint me CSO, Chief Spirit Officer of my town. And that was like one of my proudest jobs ever. Um, but yeah, but I like to think of the CSO of my home and my life and to try to bring just some joyful spirit to everything I do. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing your joyful spirit to this and to me and to everyone that's going to listen. It's so good to see you. It's really good to see you too. It's been probably a long time, right? Well, since New York for sure. Um, so that's, I left New York in 2013. So probably almost a decade. I know. That's wild. I feel like you haven't aged. Well, you too. I mean, I just, I, I have such a good memory of that, those shoots that we did, that series of shoots for self. Well, like, I mean, it's it was, like how lucky that was our job. Like we get to be on set, make, like making exercise. I know. What? I know. That I was still. Great. Yep. Our time together was pretty awesome and pretty special. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode with Megan Murphy. It's always such a joy to speak with her. Go buy her book for some inspiration on how to live your fully charged life. Tune in for the next episode. I'll be interviewing the Dean of the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine University. Now, I know it seems like a huge swing from where we've been, but I promise you the conversation will shed some light on the intersection of our personal connection to ourselves and our faiths with the seemingly completely disparate world of politics and policy. Juicy stuff. Thanks for listening and stay connected.